very good morning to you and welcome to our service this morning at Broughton Road. Delighted to see you all here. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Just to remind you, we are having a breakfast here on Easter Sunday morning, quarter to nine. If you'd like to come to that and have a cooked breakfast to start Easter Sunday, please sign up on the hub uh, before you go this morning. Uh, we, we close the booking system this time next week. If you'd like to join us for breakfast, you'd be very welcome to do so then. Thank you. Our call to worship this morning is on the screen. It's from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So at the start of spring, let's stand and declare God's faithfulness together as we see great is thy faithfulness.
We have some responses on the screen. Faithful God, our maker, bring us hope as we wait for you. Gracious God, our saviour, bring us hope as we wait for you. Life-giving God, our helper, bring us hope as we wait for you. Can I invite you to imagine a valley full of dry bones? No sign of life anywhere. These skeletons have been left unburied for years. Just an arid area of death. This is what the prophet Ezekiel saw. And he heard God asking him, Son of man, can these bones live? Humanly speaking, no. But this is God talking to him, so he says, Lord, you know. You know. So God says to him, Son of man, I want you to speak to these bones. I want you to tell them, this is what the Lord says. I am going to send breath into you and you will live. I'm going to clothe you again with muscles and with skin and I'm going to bring you back to life. And as Ezekiel spoke these words, there was a rattling sound and the bones began to come back together from being scattered, fitting together into skeletons and, and, and flesh appeared on them. But there was still no life. Just dead bodies. So God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind. Say to the wind, come from the four corners of the earth and breathe life into these dead bodies. And again, as Ezekiel spoke, the wind came from the four corners of the Spirit of God entered these bodies and they stood up and they stood together as a great army. And God said to Ezekiel, this is a picture of my people. They've given up hope. They feel abandoned. They're in despair. They're saying there's nothing left to live for. Listen to what I'm saying to you, God says. I will bring you up out of your graves. I will bring you back home again. I will give you future. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And if you are feeling flat or in despair or that there is no future or that you've given up hope or you are overwhelmed, hear what God says to you. I will put my spirit in you. And you will live. Let's pray. God of hope, you are the only one with power to resurrect what is dead. You are the God of the valley of dry bones and we thank you that there is life after death. 
Thank you that with you there is always the hope of resurrection. Thank you that you are the God of love. You're with us. You never leave us. In our grief and our despair, you hear our cry. As we wait and watch for you, you are there. And we anchor our hope in your steadfast love. You are the God of life. Send us out into your world to live by your spirit, rejecting the ways of death, walking by your spirit, by your grace, bringing your life and your peace wherever we go in your name. Amen. Rejoice, rejoice. Christ is in you, the hope of glory in our hearts. Let's stand, stand and sing this
congratulate all your youngsters for getting up an hour early this morning and making it to church. Fantastic. Great to see you. God bless you as you go upstairs. Have a brilliant time upstairs in BRBK. The rest of you, do please sit down. And we'll continue uh, with God here this morning. First of our readings this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. Words of assurance. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature or the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who don't live according to the sinful nature or the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature or the flesh have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And Paul sets out there two different ways of living, the way that comes naturally to us or the way that comes from the Spirit of God. One leads to death, the other leads to life and peace. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of confession and, and when I pray, come Holy Spirit, can we respond by saying, and bring life and peace. Come Holy Spirit and bring life and peace. Lord our God, you set before us two ways. You call us to choose life. But when we revert, when we lapse into setting our mind on the flesh, forgive us. Change the direction of our lives to follow your path, to follow your spirit, to follow your path of life and peace. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring life and peace. When we make decisions that push other people away, When we dehumanise or look down on others. When we fail to speak out against systems of oppression. When we simply support the status quo by staying quiet. 
when we choose these ways of flesh and death. Come Holy Spirit and bring life and peace. When we walk by on the other side, where we steel our hearts against compassion, where we are inconsiderate of others and put ourselves first. When we lapse into selfishness, prioritising our desires, and we don't make room for others. When we choose these ways of flesh and death, Come, Holy Spirit, and bring life and peace. Our mouths, our words reveal what is in our hearts. When we speak words of anger or hatred, or complaining, where we sow disharmony through what we say, when we are quick to condemn, where we misrepresent other people, where we speak words that are foolish, and tell stories that aren't true. When we choose these ways of flesh and death, come Holy Spirit and bring life and peace. Forgive us where we've gone wrong. Set us on right paths again. Bring us out of death into life. Help us to receive and share your life-giving love. For we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
The reading is 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 18. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So let's stand and sing, by faith we see the hand of God.
And let's pray. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So Lord, we lift our eyes to you, the God who is faithful, the God who hears and answers prayer, the God who has not abandoned this world, the God who is a, a very present help in every time of trouble. We look around the world and we see disaster and catastrophe. We lift to you those whose lives have been torn apart by the tornado in Mississippi. We pray for rescue workers trying to reach those trapped under rubble. We pray for medical teams seeking to bring healing to the injured. Comfort for those bereaved. <coughs> Lord, may your presence be manifest there in works of healing and restoration, we pray. We look around and we see the Ukraine. The ongoing battle for Bakhmut, thousands being killed and injured. Lord, we pray for a just end to that conflict. We pray that the driving force between Russia's invasion would be dispelled for deliverance for that nation for protection for courage for the defenders in your goodness we continue to ask that that law that war that conflict would not escalate we pray for your restraining And in the months to come, we pray that you bring peace that is right and just. And that people living in this country and other parts of the world from Ukraine would be able to return home and live in safety. <coughs> and while we see no sign of that at the present, we fix our eyes on what is unseen. We lift our eyes to you and pray for your intervention. We pray for our government as they grapple with the challenge of the number of people coming to this country on tiny boats, the threat to life that that represents for those making the crossing, the, 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 the uncertainty of what to do with people when they arrive. We pray for just and right policies to be formulated by them to deal with the issue of immigration. We pray for an end to the exploitation of people smugglers who, who smuggle people across the channel in exchange for large sums of money. We pray that you break the pattern of that behaviour. 
We pray for those working in the Home Office, trying to deal with an impossible situation. And we pray for wisdom for those seeking to formulate policies and laws to deal with this question. And we think of those waiting for uh, results of their application for asylum. Pray that those who have come seeking safety from situations of persecution or oppression would find a safe place to be here. And we pray for teachers. So much in the news this week has been about the pressure that they have been on, under, particularly because of Ofsted inspections. And we pray for a readiness to look again at how schools are assessed. But we pray for teachers who feel themselves under intolerable pressure at the moment. And pray for your protection upon them. For your renewing grace to come into their lives and hearts. For sensitivity on the part of those around to see where the pressure points are to give them the support that they need. But we thank you for our teachers, for the immense amount of work that they do, for their dedication to educating our children. And we pray again for just and right policies and laws to be formulated to support them in what they do. Lord, so much around us is broken. And there are no obvious or easy solutions. But we pray for Rishi Sunak, we pray for other world leaders. <coughs> we pray for wisdom to find the right way forward and courage to implement that. And where their policies are good and right and just, we pray for your spirit to work with them to bring them into being. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Two Corinthians chapter five, verses one to ten. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done, while in the body, whether good or bad. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. dying. I don't think I am. Even though I turned 60 last month, I don't feel an old man just yet, and I certainly don't feel like my life has run its course. There is so much about life that is good and positive and worth celebrating, and the last thing I'd want to do is to wish it away. And you're part of that, if I can say that. And here I part company with the Apostle Paul, who actively looked forward to leaving this body behind and going to be with the Lord he loved. I'd far rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, he says. Well, speak for yourself, Paul. That said, I have the greatest respect for Christians I've known over the years who have expressed a deep 
longing to be with Jesus. And I admire their faith and their love for the Lord. <coughs> Do they love Jesus more than me? Maybe so. Is their faith stronger than mine? I'm not sure that's the right question to ask. Since Jesus suggests that the amount of faith you have is actually irrelevant. <coughs> but I recognise that at some point in our lives, many of us will reach the point where the prospect of what is to come looks a whole lot better than sticking around here any longer. That was Paul's view. Life was tough. He talks about wasting away. His physical body was wearing out. And how old is he when he wrote these words? Probably a lot younger than me, actually. But life expectancy was a lot shorter in those days. You aged more quickly. Health was fragile. <coughs> if you got sick, there were natural remedies, of course. But the medicines and pain that keep us in good health simply weren't around at the time. You got sick. You were injured. You were in big trouble. And for many people, pain, chronic pain, would have been something they lived with every single day. Some of us do that even with all the medical support that we have here. How much worse it would have been then. And when Paul talks about groaning and being weighed down and burdened, he may well have been talking about some kind of physical infirmity or suffering. But equally with that, he talks about the mental stress of his anxiety for the churches, all the emotional baggage that that brought with him, he was carrying immensely heavy burdens. Physically, mentally, emotionally, he struggled. And life then was a struggle. In those days, much more than now. Life in this physical body carried with it inevitable connotations of mortality. You knew that death was never very far away. Often, not always, we're quite insulated from death these days. But it was part of everyday reality then. That's why Paul compares his body to a tent. He was a tent maker. He knew all about tents. And tents were never designed to be permanent dwelling places. The thing about a tent is the day comes when you pack it up and put it away. And Paul says, when that happens, God has prepared for us a house in heaven that will last forever. He didn't see death in terms of the soul escaping from the confines of this physical body into some kind of ethereal spiritual existence. He said we will be further clothed. We will put on a resurrection body will be more alive then than we are now. But that house in heaven, that's where he knew he belonged. That's where he set his eyes. That's where he was headed towards. And as we all make what is sometimes an arduous and difficult journey towards that ultimate destination, Paul says, remember, 
These bodies are just the tents we camp in along the way. We have an eternal habitation awaiting for us in the heavens, a building not made with hands. And while we're in this tent, Paul says, we groan because the load we carry can be so heavy sometimes. Whatever afflictions Paul suffered, they weren't the kind you could simply shrug off or laugh away. The language of groaning and being heavily burdened gives us an insight into how he was, what he was going through was hard to bear. And yet what enabled him to grit his teeth and make it through was the prospect of the eternal glory that he knew was waiting for him the other side of death. And if you put that glory in a set of scales and compared it with the weight of the burdens that Paul was carrying on a daily basis, then as far as Paul was concerned, the glory to come was of such consequence that all the troubles he was going through here and now were light and momentary in comparison. He was able to adopt an eternal perspective on the issues that faced him. And by adopting that perspective, he found that the burdens he carried did not control him. <coughs> he knew that what was to come would far surpass everything he knew here and now, and consequently that was what he set his heart on. We fix our eyes, he said, not on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is unseen is eternal. Whereas everything we, we see and touch and know in this material world, everything we experience in reality here and now is temporary. It's not going to last. He would warmly have endorsed the words which Jim Elliot wrote in his journal before he went as a missionary to Ecuador where he was attacked and killed by a group of Indian warriors. Jim Elliot wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which, we, which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's a telling statement. Jim Elliot clearly recognised that this life cannot and must not be the be-all and end-all because we can't hang on to it. Our mortality is a fact of life and we need to get our heads around that. These bodies were never designed to live forever, ever. We were designed for eternity, but not in these bodies. But even if we set our eyes on what is to come and we make that our goal, that doesn't mean that the hope of eternal life means that whatever happens here and now is of no consequence. On the contrary, Paul says, how we live now has an eternal significance because of what is to come. Paul knew that the day would come when he would have to give an account of his life to Christ. And with that in mind, on a day-by-day -day basis, his overriding aim was to live his life in a way that would honour Christ. 
and please him. But it's important to understand that the desire to honour Christ wasn't motivated by a fear or a dread of that examination, a terror that this divine inspection of his life would find him wanting in some kind of way. The prospect of meeting Christ was one which filled Paul with joy, not with dread. He trusted Christ implicitly. He knew the love of Christ in his heart. He could face the prospect of that review with confidence. Not because he could pat himself on the back for working so hard, but because he was so secure in his relationship with Christ. But the idea of having a heart-to-heart with his Lord about how he lived his life held no fears for him. It was the love of Christ for him that motivated and inspired him And it was his answering response of love for Christ which meant that the whole of his life had meaning and purpose. Whatever he did, he did it for his Lord. Not in some servile sense, but rather it was his immense privilege to live every single day of his life in the service of the King of Kings. That was his identity. That was his purpose. That was his joy and privilege. And when his time was done, he was looking forward to being welcomed by the master he had served so faithfully. In that way, his hope of a life to come imbued his life here and now with a profound significance. That was what got him out of bed every morning. Today, I'm serving the King of Kings, fulfilling his purpose, his eternal purpose in my life. (coughs) And even though the day to come might be marked with hardship and with suffering, he talks about being renewed inwardly every single day. And that renewing didn't come from an inner self-belief, it came from the indwelling Spirit of God, the Spirit who is God's agent of new life. The day will come when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, when this created order will be liberated from its subjection to futility and decay, when death will be swallowed up by life. That day is long in the future, or maybe not, we don't know. It might be soon. But here and now, the Spirit of God brings the resurrection power of Christ into our everyday existence. Outwardly, we may be wasting away. Inwardly, says Paul, we're being renewed on a daily basis. And as we open up our hearts and our minds, and our daily schedules to God's Holy Spirit, there is no such thing as a day without the power of God working in us and through us. God does not commission us to live for him without giving us the resources we need to do that and to do that well. He equips you with his Spirit to renew you So that even in physical weakness, even perhaps in a sense of personal inadequacy, even sometimes in failing to live as you should, 
the Spirit of God enables you to live your life for Christ. As you draw on his inexhaustible supplies of grace and of love, the Spirit of life renews us, even in the midst of death. So on the one hand, Paul was acutely aware that his mortal life was circumscribed by death, but on the other hand, he was also aware that the life-giving Spirit of God was renewing him day by day. And that's what he drew on as he fixed his eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That was the source of his strength. And the Spirit was the basis for his complete confidence in life beyond death. He describes the Spirit as a deposit, a down payment guaranteeing the life to come. The Holy Spirit was like a first instalment of a payment which meant that he belonged to God and his share in God's glory was secured. And if you trust in Christ, you have the Spirit, and the same is true of you. You belong to God. Your share in God's glory is secure because the Spirit is God's down payment on your life. And for Paul, heaven wasn't, wasn't a matter of wishful thinking. It was an absolute certainty guaranteed by nothing less than the Spirit of Christ himself. And that's why Paul was prepared to stake his life here and now upon it. On, indeed, so powerful was his conviction that he didn't envisage death depriving him of the life he had here and now. On the contrary, he was all too well aware of the limitations death placed upon him in the present, but he was looking forward to death being swallowed up by life, is how he put it. Not death stripping life away from him, but death itself being swallowed up by life. Dying for him meant the end of this mortal life with the restrictions and the confinement that was so difficult to bear and the start of resurrection life without those limits. And the glory of what was to come put every aspect of what was in the present in the shade. I think Paul would have said a hearty amen to John Donne's poem. It's one of my favourite poems. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst dost, thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and soul's delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings and desperate men, and dost with poison, war and sickness dwell. Poppy or charms can make us sleep as well or better than thy stroke. Why swell'st thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. As Paul looked forward 
to our mortality being swallowed up by life. He says, this is the very reason why God made us. This is our destiny. This was his purpose in shaping and fashioning us. God didn't create you as a disposable object, something to be thrown away and discarded once you've outlived your usefulness. God created you with an eternal destiny in mind to be with him, to share his glory. That was his purpose for you. A purpose which he demonstrated and realised when he raised Jesus from the grave. Death is not the end in God's purposes for us. Resurrection is his purpose for you as well. And whether our life here is long or short, enjoyable or marked with suffering, it was never God's intention that this life should be all there is. It's not how or why he made you. One day, you will see him face to face. One day, you will be reunited with those whom you have loved and lost. That is what God has made possible. That is what God has promised for us through his son Jesus. And as we put our trust in him and give our lives to him, then we can have the assurance that the best is yet to be. So if life here is good, enjoy it, make the most of it, live it to the full. Don't feel guilty about that, because life here and now is God's gift. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're called to rejoice and be glad in it. Life is for living and for living well. And whether our lives here and now are tragically cut to short, or whether they gradually peter out, the good news is that because of Jesus... Life triumphs over death. God made you for glory, not destruction. He gave his son to redeem you and bring you from destruction into glory, from death into life. Jesus said, because I live, you will live too. Put your trust in him. And you have eternal life in his name. Hallelujah. And thanks be to God. If you'd like prayer after the service, the prayer team will be here available to talk and to pray with you. But we close by affirming our trust in Christ as we sing, In Christ alone, my hope is found.
so to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.